Well, thank you, band, uh, for that very much. Um, and welcome again to Hiawatha Church. Uh, my name is Chris Thompson, and I am one of the elders here at Hiawatha. And if you've probably noticed that we've uh, been kind of parading around a lot of us here this summer that um, are not vocational pastors, uh, but gives a little bit of a chance for Chris and Spencer to um, rest and to have a little bit of change from their, uh, their pace of, of preaching and work. Um, but it's also a great opportunity. I really love uh, this chance to dive into a passage, to look at it more carefully, um, and to see what God has for us here as the, the body of Hiawatha um, about once a year uh, or so. Um, it's also kind of a little strange for me. I'm a teacher, and so I, I do like repeat things over, but this is, I think, the only time, maybe one of the time I've done two services, and so hopefully it'll be about 5% better this time than the first service that you guys can uh, build on, on the mistakes that I, that I made. But um, uh, no, but before getting into our passage today, I'd like to just give a little brief intro to um, me and my family. Um, first, I will say that as uh, I'll get into here is that uh, the number of like full family photos that we get uh, diminishes over time uh, from when the kids were a lot younger. And so this literally, I'm going through Google Photos trying to find one of all five of us. This is the last time. So you can kind of tell it was around December of 2022. Uh, but uh, in here, we've, my wife Sarah is in the middle. Uh, we've been married nearly 20 years, so we're celebrating our 20th anniversary here uh, on the 17th. Um, yeah, so lots to, to celebrate. Um, she owns her own business and occasionally um, gets called as part of that to uh, go really far away, the other side of the world, uh, in Asia and Africa um, often. So she is flying right now from Paris to Bamako, and Bamako is the capital of Mali. I won't give a little show of hands if anybody's ever been there. It's probably zero. Um, but uh, that's where she's heading right now to work on her um, a job that she does in grant writing and other things in there. Uh, my son, uh, our son Luke, is over there on the left with the Christmas hat on, and he's 23 and lives and works in Minneapolis. Uh, my daughter Eloise on the right, she is about to start her sophomore year at the University of Minnesota. And uh, on the left there is Kate, and she just turned 16. She drives and has a job at the Mall of America. So all this is to summarize that basically we're kind of old. Um, but uh, it's really, it's a great pleasure. I love that kind of changing piece of being able to like be involved with younger kids' lives, but also to see our family grow and, and basically be parenting young adults. It's a, uh, a new cool experience for us each and every year, and um, we kind of take different opportunities in that. So um, it's, that's a little bit uh, about us. We've been a part of Hiawatha now for um, really its entire uh, lifespan since 2006 um, as part of the launch team and uh, helping to to lead that. Um, but one of the more recent things able to do, um, the men's and women's groups both go to the Boundary Waters each year, and so I've been uh, blessed to be a part of that for many of the past 14 years or so that we've done that trip. Um, and uh, this is a, a kind of a new group of guys that had not been there before, in addition to seeing the natural beauty of the state and hanging out with uh, folks from Hiawatha. I just love the conversations that this kind of place brings up. So you don't have cell phones, you don't have other, like literally your responsibilities are to like get to a new campsite, make some food, make sure that, you know, your stuff isn't uh, super wet. Um, and just in that, you get a lot of conversations. Some are like really deep and about some uh, like aspects of faith or just like what's going on in life. Can you know some people? Not all of us knew each other very well, um, but that also spawns some interesting business ideas. So I don't want to spoil it, but if you see any of these guys up here, I want to ask them about how uh, somehow connected monkeys using Neuralink was a really, felt like a solid business idea that we hatched while on this trip. Um, but it is, it is one that we, I really enjoy that, just all aspects of being involved in this church. It's been our spiritual home, and uh, I'd love to, I'm looking forward to leading us through 2 Timothy here this morning. But before that, let's pray as we, uh, we get into the passage. 
God, thanks so much for this day, and thank you for the grace you give to us that we can uh, look into your word and to see and be encouraged by the truth of the gospel um, in all things. Um, and I pray that you would use these words this morning to um, encourage your people, uh, that you would help us to latch on to what we need to latch on to today, uh, and that you'd bring us closer to your, yourself and uh, your gospel here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So for those of us that are joining us for the first time in a bit, I know July we had our one service, and so if you missed a week or if you were serving downstairs, you might have missed uh, some of that. We are in 2 Timothy. This is the, the fifth week of that. And uh, Timothy is a young believer and pastor and leader in the church in Ephesus, which uh, we get the book Ephesians. Paul wrote to that church uh, we have earlier in the Bible. And he's receiving this letter from Paul, who is currently imprisoned, so Paul's imprisoned. Uh, he's leaving some words of encouragement and instruction for Timothy, kind of foreseeing what's, uh, what's probably going to come in his life as well. And uh, for Paul, probably is the last time he uh, was in prison before he was executed. Um, we've already gotten a sense of this kind of impending suffering and uh, what's to come uh, so far, and it is uh, part of a theme of our passage as well. But I'd encourage you, um, kind of, if you missed some of them, to re-listen through them uh, to kind of at some point uh, to get a sense of where, what Paul's already been looking at. And in this setting, Paul's encouraging and exhorting his friend and fellow leader on ways to endure and persevere among the various aspects of the world that are pressing in to seemingly thwart this early church. Uh, so we've got political oppression that he's experiencing. Um, earlier in the series, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the abandonment of some close friends and fatigue, among lots of other things. We'll see this continued, uh, along with encouragement on how to remain in the faith uh, with that. The section today is a kind of a second half of last week's. Um, Eric talked uh, a bit about uh, the, the analogies of how we can think of ourselves in the faith um, and how to understand that in the role of a life of a believer. Um, this kind of brings it back and just anchors it solidly in the gospel and what that means to be uh, in the life of a Christian. And so let's read the passage, again, where it came from last week and where we're uh, going to now. So this is 2 Timothy 2, 8 to 13. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus, with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, If we died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. But right away we see here um, this phrase uh, to remember. And to remember what? Uh, and this, this idea of suffering, um, all three of the previous sermons that we've looked at uh, have addressed this. But here's again. So it's probably pretty important to hear this as part of the Christian life. And Paul is not shining away from it. And if you read this, read the tip, Second Timothy a number of times this week, like you, that theme, it's, you can't really take it out of any of, of what's going on. So just from his specific perspective, we've got his, uh, he's in prison, his friends have abandoned him um, again, and he doesn't really have a, a sense of when he's going to be released. And you can sense that again in this section and also earlier where he's feeling, um, there, there are times he's clearly feeling very down and dejected from that because uh, people aren't able to see him and there's that uncertainty that comes with it. There's also a shame he talks about in verse 9 of being chained like a criminal. And you can imagine if you're unjustly um, uh, imprisoned, um, there is an element of that where it makes sense. You'd feel ashamed of being like in a category of people that, that he really, in, 
in many ways does not belong. Um, and that all he's done is share the gospel. And so this, along with the kind of impending doom of what's happening, um, is clearly uh, evident here in this writing. So in light of the situation that Paul is in, notice his first instruction right away is to remember. But the question would just be, well, what is he saying to remember? If you've been around here at all, this shouldn't be a surprise because we are continually here at Hiawatha and in the church pointing ourselves back to what God has done for us on the cross. This first mention of remember comes right after Paul is telling Timothy to reflect on a somewhat difficult analogy, I think if we're honest, um, of looking at uh, the farmer and soldier and athlete that could, if you take it out of context, I feel like I I had some of that phrase written on a a shirt in high school, like to encourage a a sports team or something about how to be an athlete for Christ. Like taking out of context, it can maybe lead somebody to think that uh, salvation is earned or by by our own merit. And so Timothy kind of explains, or Paul explains this to Timothy and then right away goes into remember the gospel. Remember Jesus Christ and the key elements of his divinity um, and indeed that he was raised from the dead. So as we look at that word remember, I think that it's uh, worth kind of looking at some other um, places in that. What is it linked to? Because memory is not just in this passage, but like a central theme of Scripture, of what God's people are, are called to do for each other. Um, one of the places kind of going way back uh, in time here is in 1 Samuel 7, 10 to 13. So this is a point at, in Israel's history where they've been called, separated uh, from uh, the rest of the nations, but they are in a time they've had judges as leaders, they've had some, um, uh, some pastors and, and, and priests. Right now, Samuel's in that role as kind of their, he's not their king, but he, he is their, their spiritual leader. Um, and if you know anything about Israel's history, it's usually at a point where they're running far from or not remembering the work of God, and they're doing things that are uh, not what God wants them to do. Um, but this is a point at which Samuel has called them back and they are, um, they are in a point of repentance. They're, that's kind of where we're picking up the story uh, that we can see Samuel addressing and seeing what it is um, where remembrance plays a role. So in 1 Samuel uh, 7, 10 to 13, we see this uh, here. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below Beth-kar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. And so here we have Samuel interceding uh, for God's people, sacrificing an offering for them when the physical enemy of Israel, the Philistines, see an opportunity to attack as they had done just previously in this section uh, and they won because Israel is in disarray and was running far from God. But at this point, Israel is standing in right standing with God and he intervened to confuse the Philistines and lead the Israelites to victory. So then Samuel takes a big rock uh, and I'm not sure if that's the one, but this is the Google search image of what uh, the Ebenezer is, the best one I could find, so it might, might be. Uh, it takes a big rock and puts it in the ground and gives it a name, the same as the place, Ebenezer, uh, a place and a name for them to remember, meaning stone of help. So I have a physical object that they can look to in the land of Israel where they can say, here's a place where God was yet again faithful to us when we were unfaithful. Here's a spot where they can be reminded of the work that God did. 
Um, you, this, the first time I ever like, saw this word uh, and heard this word is for many years before I knew what it meant in the, uh, a hymn. If you've ever come from a, a church or background and sang hymns, um, Come Now, Fount of Every Blessing is one of my favorites. And there's a line that says, Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. So very old language, but I, th- but I really love that because it, it's, when you learn what it means, is it's, it's pointing to this, this thing, this Ebenezer, which um, points to God's fulfillment of promises. And this is, a, I'm trying to think of an example, and like uh, just this last week, um, I was at National Night Out. I'm sure some of you went to your neighborhood gatherings and things, and, and we live in Powderhorn. It's just a, a very eclectic neighborhood, uh, lots of interesting people and conversations um, that were there. And I, and I went and brought a few things and, uh, to, to eat, and I know my immediate neighbors, but we do this huge like six-block radius thing, and so um, there's always a lot of people that are there and a lot of them that I don't know. So I, it was my goal to like at least meet uh, one new person and ha- struck up a conversation with a couple that lives like a block away. And like most things, the conversation kind of tends around like, neighborhood things. Like, when did you move here? What do you, what do, you do? And um, I realized that, uh, you know, we're both talking about our houses and there, there's a lot of similarities and that's kind of where we started. And our, in some ways, like our house is kind of an Ebenezer. And, I, and maybe this way for you or not, that's fine. But um, for us, when we moved back from Haiti about 10 years ago, ago, we, were, uh, we had places to stay but didn't really have a home. Like we'd sold our home. Um, there, we were living in like kind of apartments and friends' houses and great hospitality, uh, but we didn't have a place to kind of land and call our own. And more story than they can go in here. It's not really that big of a thing, but it is something where the provision of this particular house, where it is, and all these different details, and actually some of the hardship being in there, is um, as I was explaining it to this guy that I just met, it was like recalling all these things that God had done uh, for us in this little small symbolic uh, nature here. Obviously nothing um, like what Paul is calling us uh, to here, but it is, I think that we have examples that in our lives we can look to and to, to remember. Um, and so that, that can be a, a habit that um, we, can, we can use. Um, we can also then look back to uh, other uh, times where we're t- supposed to remember. And really, um, again, a lot more can go into here, but we'll just kind of put it out there as some other, other places that um, God renewed the establishment of the Sabbath in the Old Testament as primarily a way to remember the work God did in creation and then in freeing the Is- Israelites from the Egyptians. Uh, it talks about that in Deuteronomy 5. Um, or the Passover, uh, in remembrance of how the angel of death passed over the Israelites who had painted the blood of the lamb over their uh, doorway. So these, these acts of remembrance of what God has done. These are all kind of encapsulated in what Paul is telling Timothy to remember. He also used this phrase, descended from David, um, on this side of the cross. So now we're hundreds of years later, still in the, the, the people of God. Paul is reminding Timothy to remember, but instead of just those individual events, important as they were, he points to what all these references were moving towards. Um, the rock of our salvation, or the, the Ebenezer of our salvation, the eternal Sabbath rest we have in Christ, the blood of protection from death that we have in him as well. And to ensure these ideas are connected in Timothy's mind, Paul includes the genealogical link that Jesus has with David through time as part of that uh, reminder. Again, these anchoring uh, parts to the gospel. There's an, uh, also a first part of the phrase where he says, raised from the dead. That reminds Timothy of the miraculous and divine resurrection that is the basis of the entire gospel. Um, a quick note here on the, the use of the phrase, my gospel. I know that for, um, there's a couple places that this is used. It doesn't mean to say that Paul is saying that this is, this is like his specific thing that just kind of belongs to me. Um, 
It is the gospel, the true gospel. Uh, in fact, we'll read in a second here Galatians 1, where Paul addresses this kind of question. Um, but I think Paul is using some familiar and, and um, language to really make a personal connection with Timothy. Like it's the gospel he shared with him as part of his ministry um, and reminding them of that bond that they have together. But um, just to kind of further explore that idea of my gospel and, and that there is only one, in Galatians 1, uh, in writing to a separate church, Paul is saying this, I am astonished that you the church in Galatia, are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. So Paul preached the gospel his gospel to Timothy, but the gospel as the only way to salvation, and this fulfills the Old Testament law and prophecies in the promise of Jesus. He's also reminding him then, in that phrase, raised from the dead, <clears throat> to anchor his faith and leadership in the work of Christ on the cross, and the certainty of the event, the event of his death and resurrection, and the consequences that flow from that. Jesus the Christ, or Messiah, the descendant of Israel's greatest king, but a king who still sinned, and a king who is still buried in the Middle East. Uh, former King David, who links those Old Testament promises to, uh, to Jesus, is what we're supposed to remember. The resurrection is the other aspect that is in focus. So, raised from the dead, uh, the centrality of the resurrection. Um, why is this such a key thing for him to mention in this, this phrase right here, this kind of this long Paul phrase, uh, like, remember, uh, descendant of David, raised from the dead. Um, he really expands on this in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, I have the reference up here. I did, I'm not going to read the entire section on here, but it really is one that I find myself often looking to for myself uh, and also for others asking um, or unclear about what the, um, the faith says because it just lays out pretty clearly of like what are the implications of Jesus' death and resurrection. Kind of in a, in a negative sense saying like if this didn't happen because there's an issue of those preaching that the resurrection didn't happen. So he reminds the people in, in the church in Corinth, Paul says, uh, Jesus was died, was buried, resurrected, and appeared to the disciples and others. So like that, that happened. So kind of angering it and like you can go ask those people because they, many of them are still alive. Um, and that if somebody is preaching against the resurrection, that resurrection doesn't happen, then that means therefore Christ would have never been raised. And if Christ was never raised, we are still in our sins. We are unforgiven, and he says that we are of all people in the world to be most pitied. And I think that that, that just anchors this point of if, if we're not talking about the resurrection as being happened, then, then everything kind of just, why are we talking about it at all? And that little phrase, raised from the dead, is, is supposed to link Timothy and us to that reality and to uh, that encouragement and also the, the uh, centrality that is to our faith and for us to remember. Also, in remembering that instruction, there is a future-looking aspect to that as well. Paul reminds Timothy that while the human side of this letter has him chained in a jail cell in Rome, God's word is not chained. It cannot be contained. This was not only an encouragement to Timothy, but to us. A few examples that we can see in Scripture in life are worth taking a look at. First, in Paul's letter to the Philippians, in Philippians 1, he is describing a time in prison. Um, and the role that that plays in uh, the broader context. He says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. 
And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. There is a direct connection between Paul's physical chains, his suffering, and the boldness of fellow believers in Christ. So there's a purpose behind it. It's not just random. Um, Elsewhere we read in Acts, again, I'm not going to read the the entire uh, reference there in Acts 16, um, but there were opportunities multiple times, opportunities in prison for them to share the gospel and advance the kingdom in ways that I'm sure sure they were not expecting. Uh, So we we read this and kind of highlight the the key points here. Paul's imprisoned with Silas, and they have um, just casted out a spirit of a woman who was making a lot of money for somebody, and so that person is upset, and they bring in the authorities, and they throw them in prison because they, they're disrupting uh, the order. Uh, frequently, it was kind of pointed to as why they were imprisoned. Um, and then they had an opportunity to escape via an earthquake. It's kind of a crazy story. There's an earthquake, and the, the prison doors fly open, and you're like, oh, this is how God is answering. Like they, can, they can escape, but they see that the jailer is about to commit suicide because he's going to let the prisoners out, not by his own fault. And they get everybody to stay in the prison. And um, in that act, the jailer recognizes something is going on. And he moves the jailer to ask to to Paul, what can I do to be saved? So uh, this jailer, uh, this potential prison escape, um, he shares the gospel with this jailer who really asks for it. And then this jailer and his whole household believe. So um, there are these opportunities that arise, and that's, that's obviously a, like one that's held up. It's in Scripture for us to look at. Um, but there's also ways in which we can see that too. Um, so imprisonment can't contain the gospel. Uh, the, the next 300 years of Roman persecution could not contain the gospel. Um, even though almost all the church leaders that we read about uh, from the first churches and their leaders were killed in those 300 years. Um, many of them uh, definitely were. History is rife with kind of examples where God works in ways we never would have expected to reveal himself to people and cultures. Uh, God's word is not chained. One small example from my experience, and I think um, it's, uh, this is one of those helpful things to kind of look at in our own lives. I, uh, like I said, I'm a teacher. I've, I've taught now probably about 250. I was trying to give a rough count. Um, seniors in high school and senior year of high school is one where they're ready to kind of take off into the next uh, the next stage, and um, sometimes I've taught, some students I've taught for six years when they're, by the time they're seniors, other it's just been a couple, um, but at that time, you, you never quite know, like you, you kind of have in your mind, like uh, just thinking of like, hey, this student seems well set up for success and whatever they choose to do after this, others it's like there are some things you kind of wish and hope and pray that they would be further along that pathway, and you, you can kind of foresee some challenges coming in their life, um, but that's not the way you can't, I mean, if it worked that way, just tell somebody exactly what your concerns were and they listened every time. Um, maybe our jobs would be a lot easier, but it doesn't really work that way. Um, but it's also a, a great example of how like this happened. I had a student about 10 years ago that um, was pretty, despite a lot of efforts and uh, like pouring into his life was very far from Christ and kind of graduating this one of the probably top few students that have been like, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I, like, I don't have any clear, like, optimistic ideas of what the student is going to do. And then being a teacher, I, you know, I love seeing my former students, but it oftentimes, just because of life, you don't, that doesn't happen. So I literally had never mentioned this kid's name for, uh, for five, six years. And then we were in a fall retreat, and I see the, the itinerary, and I see this student's name on there um, as part of this um, uh, men's retreat for our, like, high school boys. And in my mind, I was like, Really? Like, is this, is this who they're bringing along? Like, I didn't, I had, knew nothing of the story, um, but I trust people who were planning this, this uh, retreat, and I was like, all right, um, I'll go, and 
you know, keep my skepticism to myself. Um, and it, it, was a, it was so amazing, honestly. It was one of those times where it's like I, again, put my own human expectation of what God could do in the life of the student who was very far from him, um, I, if I'm honest, was very low. Like, I, I wouldn't have said, like, couldn't have happened, but definitely, like, I, I see how God uh, used that. It wasn't like a, I'm not going to, like, share his testimony. That's for him to do, but um, he, d- he did to these group of guys. And not only was it, like, the work that God had done in his life, but then seeing the result in these other, these other high school students who, um, see, like, heard this for the first time was, like, just as one of these, these pictures of the gospel that was so clear um, in that room, that they, as they listened to him and were clearly impacted by it, um, both learning from his mistakes, but also being encouraged in the word of God. So God will use any circumstance to send out his word, and Paul is reminding Timothy of this, and we can also remind each other of that as well. I know that for our um, uh, community group, that's been one thing over the last years that's been really encouraging is just sharing these sometimes small things, but sometimes really big things and everything in between of what God has done uh, to prove and to show his faithfulness to us. But we also then have Paul talking about endurance with a purpose. Paul talks, uh, links back to suffering that he's enduring, but not just randomly. It is for uh, a purpose to encourage his church. And an example how to suffer through persecutions, um, even amidst uh, challenges. In 1 Corinthians 4, he talks about this when Paul is writing to the church there, you also hear Timothy's name mentioned, that they have fathers through the gospel on whom they should imitate. Uh, he says this in 1 Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 17. I am writing this to you, not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. So just as Paul is imitating in a shadowy way the suffering uh, that Christ suffered on the cross, Timothy and down through time, leaders are called to endure the suffering as well. Paul is enduring this hardship to help the elect, the people of God, know that the gospel is true and to obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus, as he says in verse 10 of our passage. Why would he endure the shame, indignity, hardship, and then death in prison for something that he thought was a lie that wouldn't really make any sense. Paul is finding encouragement even in his suffering, knowing that it's for a purpose. Now, the purpose is to encourage, but it's not to save us. Christ's work and suffering, the ultimate suffering on the cross, has already done that for us. But it's to encourage and strengthen fellow Christians who may very well be facing similar difficulties in their lifetime. This, again, I think is a big part of being in a community of believers. And uh, things look a lot different now in many ways uh, from the first century Palestine where this was written. And yet, in sharing one another's, one another's difficulties and sharing that with each other um, in times of, of uh, being in the suffering or being next to it um, is part of what we're trying to sustain one another as Christ sustains us through his suffering. So uh, at the end of this, this first part, kind of a connecting back to last week, um, we kind of flows from that argument. I would say it's kind of in that same uh, line. But then Paul changes gears a little bit by writing a little saying, almost like a little poem to help us to remember um, the truths that he's talking about along with a challenge and an encouragement. So I just want to reread this section. Um, if you look at it in your Bibles, it, it definitely has a, uh, it's kind of formatted differently as well. 
And um, so when it says, here's a trustworthy saying, it's just Paul wrote this saying as a way to uh, kind of encapsulate these ideas. So uh, verse 11 to 13, here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Um, and so in this, this memorable sets of phrases, we have four kind of different parts to it here that I want to take a brief look at. The first line of it, if we die, then we live. This describes the fact that as Christians, we are called to die and be raised again with Christ. Again, obviously the work that is, was done by Christ on the cross for us is done. It's been accomplished. It has already happened. But now we identify with it in Christ and live in him once we've been united in his death and resurrection. This is very similar language. If you, uh, we do baptisms a couple times, you hear sometimes outside, sometimes up here, but this is the language of baptism, of, of death to ourselves and being raised again with Christ. And then we symbolize that in going under the water and then coming back out again. This promise of new life that is central to the Christian faith is a good place to start this memorable phrase. Um, another one that, that we've read relatively recently is in, in Nicodemus and John um, when they're talking um, having that exchange where Jesus says you need to be born again. And Nicodemus is confused by that, but there is a, this, another angle at this new life that we have in Christ, um, and that is also uh, can be referenced here as well. So an anchoring in the reminder of the truth of and the reality of what the gospel means in dying with Christ. Second part says, if we endure, then we reign. Uh, this word endurance means to stick with something difficult or unpleasant. It is a short way to remember that to endure through the inevitable sufferings of life, but with the promise that not only do we currently have new life, that is true, but we will, in the second part of this, we will reign or be co-heirs with Christ. This is a kind of a crazy statement stuck in here. It's almost like an additional part here that, that Paul is bringing in, but it's not by accident. Um, I mean, I was trying to think of this as like, as I read through this a couple times, this is the spot at which I, I glanced over more than once and then we're kind of looking in again, like looking at that word um, reigning. Um, you think of uh, a kingdom and a king and there is an element to where we'll be co-heirs and rulers with Christ when he returns. I mean, I had no other bullet point to say, wow. Like, I, I think this is one where, like, I, we can miss it, but when you actually think about it, it kind of is like, Mind-blowing. I don't think we can fully wrap our heads around what that's going to look like. Um, but again, it's not by accident. This is, this is to encourage a fellow believer in Christ on what our inevitable sufferings to come, um, to be encouraged by that and to look forward to something else. Uh, a way that I thought about it is that, there's, that history is not just random. It's not just a bunch of stuff happening. I definitely can feel that way sometimes. But there is an end point to history, an end to history in Christ's return. And that as believers, we, we can look forward to that. And I think um, this is a, one of those places where, uh, especially in great difficulty, there is, uh, there is mystery in what exactly the details of that would be. Um, it's not a sermon on different ideas of that, but like just standing in awe of that reality that we have as we look forward to when Christ uh, comes back. And, and as an encouragement in suffering, this is uh, meant for that reason, to look forward to something beyond um, just this life here. And we have um, a, the biggest uh, exhortation and challenge for sure in this section. Um, if we disown him, he disowns us. Um, this exhortation that Jesus will, if we disown him, Jesus will do the same 
for us should lead us back to Jesus' words in Matthew 10. Uh, He says this in 32 to 33, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. So we have a stark warning from Jesus himself that there will come a time when people will either acknowledge him before others or not, and the consequences of disowning are severe. Being disowned by Christ is eternal separation from him because his forgiveness is not applied to you. In other words, hell. And this is a stark and it is a hard warning that reminds Timothy and us now of the reality of what actively rejecting Christ brings. The word uh, for this elsewhere uh, discussed as placed in Hebrews and uh, in Romans is the word apostasy. Uh, and it's often pretty, and oftentimes, I'll say often, not every time, but oftentimes discussed in connection with false teachers, which if you flip the page or go next in your Bible or on your app, uh, that's the next section looking at false teachers and some ideas that are, that are getting into the church um, and other epistles as well. Um, but really like in this point here, in this little phrase, this reminder of it, it's, it's a hard truth. Um, you might be thinking like right now uh, in reading this is that some other translations say the word deny. And, uh, you know, in translation of language, you have different, different meanings, kind of how they, the original meaning and, and what does it mean now. But so I think that uh, disown, maybe at least when I read it, read a little bit more like way far over here, but deny seems a little bit softer. So whichever one you use, if you're looking at deny, when I read it that way, part of me thinks like, well, isn't that me? Like, um, I, I would say that at some point, I know that I have, I can think of conversations where I've kind of downplayed aspects of uh, the faith because I, it was uncomfortable. Um, or uh, in our own minds of things where we're like, we have doubts and things that we're not quite sure about. And like, is that really the case? Uh, it doesn't seem very comforting at all in this, this little phrase. But it doesn't end here. This isn't just the, the last phrase in this final statement. And Paul says, if we disown him, he will disown us. Okay, on to the next topic. Paul and God want us to know that even in our weakness and our crises of faith, Jesus is faithful. The last stanza of this saying confirms to us that those in Christ will remain in him, and he will be faithful for us. He will stand in the space of doubt and disbelief and and have the faith that we need. One picture of this that we read uh, relatively recently, a few months ago, was in the Gospels in the denial of Christ by Peter. In that passage, we read at the Last Supper, uh, which we're about to celebrate here uh, in this service, but um, Jesus tells Peter, you are going to deny me three times. Peter very very brashly saying that he would never do this uh, and saying, no way, I'm going to stand up for you, I will will die for you. And Jesus is telling him that, no, you're going to deny me three times. And sure enough, when Jesus is arrested, he's before the Roman authorities and the disciples are scattering and Peter finds himself by this fire uh, and he's asked, like, hey, aren't you the guy? And then it happens three times. And by the last time, he's like cursing at this person, like, no way, I do not know him. And then the rooster crows and he realizes what has happened. He goes outside and he weeps bitterly. And so we have one of the closest people to Jesus denying him three times. And, but again, it doesn't, the, the, the gospels don't end there. Um, what Somebody, you can actually say this, I'll uh, not just um, think it, but uh, what, is, what happens in the rest of the story? Like, how does the story finish in the New Testament? What does Jesus do? He what? He restores him. He, go, he goes back to him, and uh, we read that he goes back and he restores him back 
And the faithlessness of Peter is covered by the faithfulness of Jesus. I'm just going to read that. Um, <clears throat> uh, no, I won't read that section here right here. But he, he goes back to him and, and asks him three times to feed my sheep as kind of a symbolically bring him back from those uh, three different denials. So he does not leave us in our faithlessness. One more time we see something at work that is, uh, it's hard for me to, to look at this passage and to not have this come right to mind um, uh, on his faithfulness here, is in the New Testament when Jesus is talking to, interacting with the father of a boy who's been uh, possessed by a demon in Mark 9. The boy has been brought to Jesus uh, by his father who asks for help. Um, it's not on the slide, but it is uh, uh, up here. He says, so he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he's thrown him both into the fire, into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I just love the way that Jesus in the verse prior to this asks him for something beyond what he can do. He says, if you can believe, all things are possible. Like knowing that he can't do that, and the man responds by, by this juxtaposition of, I believe, but help my unbelief. I, this encapsulates this idea so well of Christ's faithfulness for us. So Paul wants Timothy to know, as a pastor and a leader, that both he and his people under his care will have a difficult life, sometimes persecution in times where they will ask if it's all worth it, but that Jesus' grace and love will sustain them even when they are faithless. To remember that God is not bound by physical limitations— that kept Paul in prison or political opposition or those 300-plus years of Roman persecution amongst many of the types we can read about in history or the suffering that accompanies our walk with Christ. If you're here today and feel that kind of weight or something else that seems to be blocking your way, we are reminded to remember that Christ and his suffering, death and resurrection as the one who took on the greatest of pain and hurt from us to himself, all because he loved us and continues to love us. Because he was the only one that could do that, and nothing could stop him from accompanying, accomplishing what he set out to do. Not his own imprisonment or persecution. Not Satan tempting him with uh, all the riches of the world. Uh, nothing could get in his way. We can now remember to say to ourselves and each other that when we are faithless, he will be faithful. That which can and does stop us doesn't stop Christ. God is not bound by our never-ending limitations, failures, and obstacles. If you're here today and unsure what that is, if that is even true and are curious about what it means, that's, a, that's good news. Don't ignore that prompting, but know that you can talk and ask questions uh, of us here just on a Sunday up front, uh, discuss them in a community group, um, asking for prayer, uh, meet one of the pastors, and get connected. Um, elsewhere that comes to mind in this is that Jesus talks about having a mustard size, uh, mustard size of faith is all that we need, and it's, he will give that to you as well and will grow it inside of you. For those of us that are in Christ this morning, let us then as God's people remind one another of the truth of Jesus' faithfulness to us while we were faithless. And because of that, we can and will live and reign with him in the future. So be encouraged in that today and rest in the truth that it brings this morning and this week, reminding ourselves and one another of God's faithfulness to us in the gospel. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to uh, be encouraged in your word uh, amidst uh, sometimes challenging things, but ultimately landing us on the rock that is Christ, that is the salvation that he offers to us. 
And so I pray for um, us here today that we would be encouraged in that, that we would encourage one another um, and land on it, and that God, if, if anybody here is questioning that or, or struggling through, that they would seek, seek you, God, and that you would find them. Um, I thank you for this uh, chance to be here together.